Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. So I want to take some of you back. You men are standing at the front of the church. Perhaps your groomsmen are by your side. The pastor is standing there with you. Your hands are sweating. All of the pre-wedding jitters are behind you. As you watch the last of the bridesmaids take their place among the ring bearer and the flower girls. You brides, you watched your bridesmaids walk down the aisle. You're waiting with your father to walk down the aisle as the bridal march begins to play. In a moment, you both see each other. The months of planning, scheduling, revisions, rehearsals are all over. And you catch a glimpse of the one with whom you'll walk through life together. It's go time. Well, what was going through your mind right then? And here's the question. This is where you got a chance to participate. How long ago was that? How long have you been married and how long did you know each other before marriage? And I do ask you, since I did leave my hearing aids at home, speak up so we can all hear. LaVorence, how long have you guys been married? Seven years tomorrow. tomorrow. Happy anniversary, guys. (laughs) Caleb, since you're nudging the groom, how long have you guys been married? Eight Eight years. All right, anybody above 30 years? Praise the Lord. Anybody above 40 years? Whoa, great. Praise the Lord. Kim and I just celebrated the 42nd year. Well, it's a sacred, holy, intense, unforgettable moment. Your love is strong and fierce, and you were both convinced that there wasn't anything you wouldn't do for the object of your affection, and no trial you wouldn't endure together. By the time she's down the aisle and her father has placed her hand in yours, uttering a few threats under his breath, you are both a teary-eyed mess. After the vows, the pictures, the reception, gifts, saying goodbye to everybody, you set off on your life together. But sadly... It does not take long for the starry-eyed adoration to be replaced by impatience and immature squabbling. Faster than you expected, apathy begins to replace fervor when the highs begin to give ways to the inevitable mids and lows. The drama of the wedding day turns to normal life with all of its stresses, trials, and mundane moments. We soon learned that marriage is tougher than it seems and that you and your spouse are both more sinful than either one of you had imagined. Kim and I left Hartford, Connecticut. We went up north. We stayed overnight at a hotel. The next morning we got up and we drove to our spot for our honeymoon, which was in the foothills of the White Mountains of New Hampshire. And as we set up our tent and we were going to be camping, I found a copper-clad pot. And it was there on the campground. And I thought, somebody left this. And that was our first argument. I wanted to keep it. She wanted it to stay just where it was. That was our first argument. What was your first argument? What was it about, and how long after the wedding did it happen? Hopefully not at the reception. Oh, come on, somebody's got to be brave enough to confess. Nybert's? Fresh broccoli or frozen broccoli. A life-changing decision. (laughs) Right. Anybody else? (laughs) 
Are the Nyberts the only one brave enough? To, is that because you guys are going to be leaving us that you're, you're willing to confess that? Is that? Okay. Well, listen, if you have another one, just feel free to raise your hand and shout it out and we'll go forward. Did you know that the divorce rate in the U.S. is going down, but not because couples are deciding to stay together. On the contrary, it's because they're not getting married at all. Divorce is a complex issue that has impact on so many lives. Every 13 seconds, there is a divorce. That equates to 277 divorces per hour, 6,646 divorces per day, 46,523 divorces per week, and 2,419 and 196 divorces per year. As Jesus said, from the beginning it was not so. For all these statistics, many marriages have been good. Maybe there's been an occasional temptation that it was too hard, but through it all you never fell out of love or grown tired of spending time together. There's no one you'd rather spend time with no one with whom you share so many interests and life experiences. For couples before, during, and after marriage, the great issue is treasuring your marriage. I suspect that this is your challenge along with Kim and myself as well. We've been married for 42 years. We've known each other for about 46 as we cover marriage together, we need to consider this. If we're going to run our ways to win, if, we're, if we desire for Christ to be most gloriously reflected in our lives as individuals and as couples, all of our lives, we must treasure our marriages, and this is consistent with God's desire, design, and purpose for you. Dr. Ed Wheat. In Love Life for Every Marriage says this, it is God's will in every marriage that the couple love each other with an absorbing spiritual, emotional, and physical attraction that continues to grow throughout their lifetime together. It is possible for any Christian couple to develop this love relationship in their marriage because it is in harmony with God's express will. Love Life for Every Marriage, married couple, Dr. Ed Wheat, you'll see a list at the bottom of the second page there. With the notes, if you don't have the notes, they're back on the white boxes there. But I do highly recommend this book, along with the others that I've listed and identified. Well, as we discuss this, in our day, it's also important to ask, and this is your first blank, what is the meaning of marriage? What is the meaning of marriage? Is it simply an event? In today's confused world, in our culture, it is still... An important question to ask. The Defense of Marriage Act, DOMA, in 1996 was passed by Congress. 26 years later, this year, the Respect for Marriage Act was passed, which totally destroyed and repealed DOMA. 26 years. So now we're saying that marriage is homosexual unions, it's polyamorous, it's marrying oneself, it's three brides, a chicken, and a 1952 DeSoto. I'm just kidding about the DeSoto part, but we're not far off. Dave Harvey, in his wonderful book, talks about this very fact. And Dave Harvey, again, another great book I do recommend, When Sinners Say I Do. When Sinners Say I Do. 
He says this, We obviously live in a day when the meaning of marriage is up for grabs. Unfettered from any source of authority, marriage follows culture, no matter where culture goes. He gives an illustration. After a head-banging night of partying, one pop idol got married, then had the marriage annulled in the morning. To her, marriage may have seemed simply like a fun thing to do for a few hours, not too different from an afternoon at the mall or a visit to Starbucks. Just a spontaneous indulgence. No harm done. There are no victims here. Yeah, right. We are selfish people who are experts at identifying and doing those things that benefit ourselves. We can even misuse something as good as marriage to see it as an institution that exists ultimately for our comfort, our happiness, our agenda, or for our pleasure. And while marriage does bring all these benefits and more, it ultimately exists for something far better. Marriage exists to glorify God. Marriage exists for Christian people, the disciples of Christ, to demonstrate the gospel for the world and to their spouses. I'm going to say that again. Marriage exists to glorify God. Marriage exists for Christian people, the disciples of Jesus, to demonstrate the gospel to the world and to their spouses. Now this is true if you're single looking to be married, if you're engaged and waiting to be married, if you've been married for many years, if you've gone through the horrors of divorce. This is true, nonetheless. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. Let's turn the lights all the way off. I'd like for us to read this together, out loud. And I think with the lights off, we'll be able to better read it. <clears throat> Just hit the off button, and it'll go all the way down. All right, let's read this together. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Read it with me. So that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Blake, thank you for that. Go ahead and turn the lights all the way on. <clears throat> We're having uh, problems with our lighting system. They are being replaced. Our, uh, our faithful deacons are taking care of that. Aren't you, Dave? Yes. Okay, good. Waiting on parts. 
The passage in Ephesians is very familiar, and we, most of us can recite it from memory. The key point is verse 32 that says, The mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Paul makes it clear in that verse that he calls marriage a mystery, that referring to Christ and the church. Beyond the bridesmaid dresses, the tuxedos, the wedding cake, the gifts and guests, Christ lived and died for his people and is not ashamed to illustrate what he would accomplish in the union of a husband and wife. So great are these loves that God does not shy away from using your marriage as a picture, a metaphor for how he would love his people. We might even say that God created marriage so we would have words and images through which we could learn about him. The sacrificial love of a husband for his wife and a wife's willingness to follow her husband would be a demonstration of Christ's love for his people. The wife's joyful response to her husband's pursuit would be a demonstration of the church's love for her Savior. The universal human institution of marriage was ultimately created by God for the purposes of God. John Piper, again, reference to another great work, this momentary message, a marriage, excuse me, John Piper, says this, the meaning of marriage, and you have these on your notes, is the display of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his people. This covenant-keeping love, and of course, Piper uses a lot of hyphens in what he writes, this covenant-keeping love reached its climax in the death of Christ for his church, his bride. That death was the ultimate expression of grace, which is the ultimate expression of God's glory, which is of infinite value. This is a treasure. Brothers and sisters, against the cultural ethos which sees marriage as optional, easily redefined, and perhaps even oppressive, the beauty of your marriage, the beauty, the splendor, the glory, the God-reflecting glory of your marriage, your love and commitment to each other cuts hard against our inward selfishness, and which would take all the benefits of marriage without the commitment. It elevates marriage to something far beyond itself. It makes marriage something holy, something to treasure, something that reflects and gives God honor and glory through us and our spouses. I'm going to say that again. Treasuring marriage elevates marriage to something far beyond itself. It makes marriage something holy, something to treasure, something that reflects and gives God honor and glory through us and through our spouses. Now, the next blank on your paper there should be filled in by the word marks. There are four marks of a treasured marriage. Benchmarks, milestones, characteristics, manifestations, evidences, snapshots, memes, qualities. If you had to say what the hallmarks were of a marriage that was truly treasured by both spouses and witnessed by outsiders, close friends or just mere acquaintances, what would they be? What would the hallmarks, what would the marks of a treasured marriage be? What adjectives would you use? 
Say it again. Good. Excellent. What else? Oh, come on. You have creative linguistic abilities here. You've got, you've got a thesaurus running around in that head of yours. Sacrificial. Sacrificial. Excellent. What else? What would a treasured marriage look like? How would it be manifested? Faithful. Faithful. Good. Say it again. Excellent. And there was another one. Somebody's lingering. Excellent. Unwavering. Love it. If God has given you a spouse, he's given you a precious gift. He calls you and I to treasure our marriage, and to treasure marriage, we must treasure the groom, the bride. If you are to treasure your spouse, you must learn from Jesus Christ how to love them well. Here are four marks that I'm going to recommend, and part, some of them have been already suggested. First, it is a sacrificial love. Men, your love must be sacrificial. It must sacrifice safety, comfort, desires, preferences, or anything else, if only it will serve her. Give up the remote, guys. You may not be called to die for your wife. You're shaking your head. Why are you shaking your head? Do you think he's never going to give it up? Men, do you say your wife doesn't know how to use it? Husbands are called to imitate Christ who gave everything he had for the sake of his bride. Men, we are called to love our wives in such a degree we would be willing to die for her. Perhaps you have fantasized about going out in a blaze of glory as you have kept your wife from a fiery death or throwing her out of the way in front of a runaway train. But God calls us for much more than this. God calls us to live for our wives, and that's a much greater challenge. This is a day-to-day, moment-to-moment calling to love and serve her. It is a call to study and know her and live with her in an understanding way so that we can provide for her needs and submit to her desires. And not submit with your teeth gritted, but lovingly, willingly, not begrudgingly. It's a call to put to death whatever sin you and I are clinging to that keeps us from loving her better and serving her deeper. Men, do you love your wives in a sacrificial way? Women, your love is sacrificial as well. It means dedicated, unconditional, agape love in marriage, which does not keep score and is willing to consider value and esteem the leadership and direction of another. Ladies, it does not matter that your husband is imperfect. It does not matter that your husband is flawed. If you want to love like Jesus loved, as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, ladies, you will be willing to set some initial preferences aside. In a sermon entitled, What is Christian Marriage? Cody Pickney said, Agape is a love that gives. A love that does not demand or hold onto rights, but has the good of the other at heart. 
This is the love we need to work on in our marriage in order for our spouse to feel like he or she is married to Jesus. Now, if you look at the paper, if you look out the handout that I've prepared for you, on the bottom of the first page, you'll see a series of questions. If you're engaged, if you are married, this is going to be part of your homework. I'd like you as as the husband to fill this out. I'd like you as the wife to fill this out. Later on in the assignments, you'll see that part of what I'd like you to do is talk about your answers. And I see some guys rolling their eyes. Oh, we've got to talk. (laughs) It's not a trip to the dentist to get your wisdom teeth pulled, gentlemen. (laughs) Use these questions for the honor and glory of God. Use those questions to learn as a disciple of Christ how to treasure marriage and give glory to God. Second, a second mark of a treasured marriage. A purposeful love. You are God's special means to help your spouse grow in holiness. Christ's love for his people accomplished something on their behalf. It accomplished their salvation. He gave himself up for the church. Why? That he might sanctify, set her aside, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, the baptism setting apart, the word of God which renews our minds, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she, the church, might be holy and without blemish. Christ died both to save and sanctify his people. Husbands are God's special means to help wives grow in holiness. You are to imitate imitate Jesus by helping your wife grow in that regard. Not because you're perfect. And not because you are so much more righteous than she is. This is a mutual thing. Men, her spiritual maturity is your way of intentionally loving her and being obedient to Christ. You are responsible to know God's Word to an extent that you can carefully and faithfully apply it to her. Now, men, there are some of us who are married to women who are much closer to the throne than we are. There are some of us men that do not have as rich a spiritual walk, as deep a knowledge of God's Word as our wives have. But you know, men, it's still our responsibility. It's our responsibility to grow, to to know this, and to understand God's Word, and to be diligent in prayer, regardless of the difference between our spouse and ourselves. You're responsible to know God's Word to such an extent that you can carefully and faithfully apply it not only to your own heart, but to her as well. Do you love your wife in a purposeful way? Brides are also to love their husbands with purpose and intention. Consider this passage describing the godly woman of Proverbs 31. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain She does him good 
and not evil all the days of her life. Her intention, her purpose, her goal, her drive is to do him good. That a godly woman has an intention to do good for her husband is an illustration of a chosen path that a disciple has purposing to enrich and bless someone else. The fact that there is a relationship of trust and confidence burned into the heart, the conscience, and the experience of her husband is a direct correlation to the selfless drive of a wife in serving her spouse. The wise woman builds up her home, but a foolish woman tears it down. Women, many of you are the wise woman. And praise God for that. But it is not inappropriate to ask the question, am I demonstrating the wisdom of God? And again, on your homework, you will find some questions. It's top of the second page. What do I want for my husband or wife more than anything? What do I desire for them? Second, how do I need to grow where the help of my beloved is necessary? <clears throat> By the way, during, during any time I teach, if you have a question, observation, a contribution, again, regardless of your marital status, I hope that you'll feel comfortable to, you know, speak up. Uh, this is not, I'm just not a talking head here. I want you to be engaged. Okay? Third, a nurturing love. A nurturing love. The love of Christ is gentle and nurturing love. It serves as the example of the kind of love between spouses. We looked at the Ephesians passage before. Ephesians 5.28 starts out by saying, Husbands ought to love their wives... As her own bodies, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. To nourish, you consider how a gardener nourishes his plants how he carefully draws out the beauty of each one. Richard Phillips says of the husband, this requires him to pay attention to her, to talk with her, in order to know what her hopes and fears are, what dreams she has for the future, where she feels vulnerable or ugly, what makes her anxious, what gives her joy. Then to cherish our wives, we must treat her in ways that prove her value, that cause her to thrive. Do you love your wife in a nurturing way? Some of you know that I go to the gym occasionally, which is why I look so amazing. Uh, that's a joke. That's a joke. <clears throat> my wife calls my friends at the gym my little gym buddies. She's also taking to calling my friends on the internet my little Facebook buddies. <laughs> One of my little Facebook buddies, Jacob Chandler, says this. He says, oops, let me go back here. 
It's on your, it's on your chart. Uh, true marriage, Christian marriage, modeled after the marriage between Christ and his church, is like a flower, beautiful and elegant, yet in need of tender care and daily nourishment. Is our duty as husbands and wives to daily tend to the needs of our marriage so that they may blossom in their fullest. Many of you know that I do some gardening. This year, trying to nourish my plants, I took out some fertilizer that I had in my garage for years and years and years, mixed it up, sprayed it on my garden, and killed everything in the garden. I wasn't nourishing my plants. The fertilizer had turned toxic. Thankfully, I replanted, but the illustration, the question of this, men and women, are you poisoning your garden? In the words of King Solomon, are you catching, catching the little foxes that destroy your garden? Are you nourishing and cherishing it? Consider Katharina von Bora, Luther. Her relationship with Martin Luther began as mutual respect, but eventually blossomed into a deep abiding love. Throughout her life, Katharina knew the heartbreak of rejection, felt the horrible loss of losing an infant and a young child, carried the burden of an alcoholic son, and heroically supported a man who experienced constant opposition and discouragement. She was diligent to live out the biblical teaching she built her life upon and her love and devotion to God and to her husband, in effect, furthered the cause of the Reformation. Martin Luther was a cheerful man, as a rule, but he also had terrible fits of depression. He was at one time so depressed that his friends recommended that he go away for a change of air to see if he can get some relief. He went away, but he came home as miserable as ever. And he went into the sitting room. His, wife, his wise wife, Kate, was there. You guys remember what happened? What was she dressed in? The same color as your shirt, brother. She was dressed in all black. <clears throat> Katerina von Bora was sitting there dressed in black and her children round about her all in black. Oh, oh, said Luther, who is dead? Why, said she, doctor, have you not heard that God is dead? My husband, Martin Luther, would never be in such a state of mind if, I had a living, if he had a living God to trust to. Then he burst into a hearty laugh and said, Kate, thou art a wise woman. I have been acting as if God were dead, and I will do so no more. Go and take off thy black. Katharina was one who understood her husband and was willing to help him back to a place of usefulness. Look on your paper for this mark, and you'll see the question. One area in which I feel vulnerable is. Write that down and share it with your spouse this week. Fourth, steadfast. Someone had used a, a synonym for steadfast before. In our wedding, we vow to forsake all others, not merely in deed, but also in thought, desire, and fantasy. 
That love must be a steadfast, enduring kind of love. It expresses the highest commitment. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The permanence of the one flesh union of marriage is mocked, undermined, and dishonored through adultery, pornography, any other form of sexual sin. Our spouses thrive when they can count on the rock-solid assurance of our commitments to them, but they wither in distrust midst broken vows. Do you love your spouse in this steadfast way? Now, your wandering may be of a sexual nature. You're wandering in the abounding of your heart so that it's consumed with someone beside your spouse or something beside your spouse. Maybe your particular way of not being steadfast. I think we need to be very careful when we limit what idolatry is to one form. I think the Word of God challenges us throughout all of the history of redemption to see that idolatry is not just one type. How will you, the next question here, how will you guard and treasure your marriage from a love that takes you away from your spouse? The love you are meant to show is sacrificial purposeful, nurturing, and steadfast, just like the love of Christ for His church. It is in loving our spouses this way that you treasure them, treasure your marriage, thus show your love, commitment, and fidelity as disciples of Christ. And that Christ is our highest treasure. Do it now. There are four ways, four steps that we can take right away in increasing the value of this treasure. First, give your spouse a voice. It's wise to invite your spouse to speak into your life. For this to happen well, allow them to speak freely. Listen carefully and respond only after careful reflection. Don't be defensive. Tell them that you are listening to them you value their opinion. You're going to pray about it. Consider what they say. And you know, everybody is different with regard to how quickly we respond to a mirror when the mirror of God's law is held up in front of us. Some immediately know my face is not clean. I am dirty. I got to clean this up. Some take a glance in the mirror and ignore it and walk away and only later realize how soiled they are. And you, as a man and a woman, one of you may be very sensitive and just immediately say, You're absolutely right. I was wrong. Please forgive me. Your spouse 
may take some time. It may be pride. It may be the way they think. You may need to give them time to consider these things. Perhaps you can ask your spouse, how can I better serve you as your spouse? What is one sin you would love to see me address in my life? What are some things I do that make you feel unloved? What could I do instead? Carve out some time. Ask the questions. Listen carefully. Avoid prideful defensiveness. Pray fervently and respond graciously. Another way that you can address this increase of your treasure, excluding all others. When you're married, you commit yourself fully and completely. Yet many allow room in their lives, their hearts, and their minds for other relationships, hobbies, preoccupations. Allowing your mind to dwell on everything other than your spouse will only ever cool your love and harm your relationship. There's no room in your marriage for what ifs or ifs only. Exclude any thoughts, desires, fantasies, or anyone else or anything else. Commit yourself entirely to your spouse. Number three, continue to pursue them. Continue to pursue them. Both of my daughters, Kirsten and Michelle, were dating men that were not pursuing them. They would have to call them. They'd have to follow up on that call. They would be the ones to arrange things. My counsel to them was stop. Just stop. You need to dump this guy like a hot rock. Because if this is the way they are now, what's going to happen when the ardor of love and affection may cool after a marriage? Kirsten, Michelle, I want for you to have a man who loves you, who pursues you. You don't want anything less. And I'm very thankful to say that in this case, <laughs> they followed their father's counsel. And both of them have husbands who pursue them. It's tempting to see your wedding day as a kind of finish line. You pursued, you wooed, you won, and now they're all yours. Ah, great question. Great question. What does pursuit look like practically? And I'm going to turn this over to the class because, again, you guys are creative. You guys are experienced. How do you want to be pursued? How has your spouse pursued you? Have you left little notes all over the kitchen cabinets talking about your love and appreciation? Friday is floral day in many retail shops. Do you stop by and get flowers every Friday? What do you do? What does pursuit look like practically? Yes, sir. Take them on a date. And not because you've been wheedled and cajoled into it. <laughs> what else? Ms. Wickersham again? Initiate conversation. Don't sit there like a, a lump on a log. What else? Ladies, how do you want to be pursued? Yes. 
Okay, carving out time for them so that they can, you know, I used to come home and then when I looked at my wife, she had three kids under the age of 10, and I looked at my wife and said, okay, out, <laughs> you're going. I loved her enough to get rid of her, but pursuing time so that she can have the time to spend with other people, to be refreshed, good. What else? Ladies, how do you want to be pursued? Let me, uh, let me uh, re reword that uh, for the people who may be listening uh, <clears throat> to this message because I'm sure it will be uh, just, you know, just it'll, it'll, it'll go viral, you know, this message, and <laughs> people all over the world will want to listen to it. I at least know one faithful brother in India who will listen to it. <laughs> but uh, the question is this. Isn't it from both sides that there should be a pursuit? Yes, and amen. Um, with regard to my approach, uh, as the man is the leader, I do place more emphasis upon the man pursuing. And generally, historically, men fail in this. Women pursue this, want this. Have a, and that may be a sexist uh, notion that I have, but I think it bears out you know, empirically and uh, not just anecdotally. Uh, so men, aside from being fed and uh, having your head rubbed and being told, poor baby, poor baby, uh, how do you want to be pursued? Affection, a hug, a squeeze. Let's not get too graphic. There's, that's another lesson down the road. Enough food in the pantry? That's, for me, that's how my wife loves me. I grew up in a home where finances were very tough. And there was, so to me, a larder full of food and provision that she knows that that's part of how I see security. She does that for me. Excellent. Using your gifts, ladies, specifically for that man. The issues, the needs that he has in his life, that's part of the pursuit. And <clears throat> I'm going to add, continue to do love. Continue to do love. There are times when your feelings of love may grow cool, but even though it may be difficult to feel love, there are always opportunities to do love. After all, love is not first emotion, but action. Or as Sinclair Ferguson says it, love is not maximum emotion, love is maximum commitment. While you may at times lack romantic feelings, you'll never lack opportunities to do good. Commit yourself to their good, and always do those things that express love toward your beloved, even and especially when you don't feel love.